Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we take a look at popular film franchises one movie at a time. I'm Tyler. And I'm Human Bean Juice. (laughs) I mean, I'm Alex. (laughs) And I'm just doing it for the lulls. (laughs) I'm Britton. What franchise are we talking about today, guys? What long-running, multi-volume... We're talking about... Bad Alan Moore adaptations. <laughs> that, oh, that French yeah. <laughs> That's right. It's Swamp Thing from 1980. Yeah. He didn't create Swamp Thing, did he? He just wrote. No, he, he just, just wrote for He just made him yeah. cool. <laughs> um, yeah, we, uh, we we are gearing up to the big Snyder Cut. Um, and uh, we decided to. This is These are spiritual prequels, I yes, think, is maybe correct. a good way to to put this. Look, how much you want to bet that that Snyder did have the idea when he was making Man of Steel and he was starting his his kind of mainline DC movies? He was like, I "Wonder if there's a way I can do a crossover with Watchmen," because that sounds like a wonderful idea that would never go wrong, mm-hmm. like at all. Like <laughs> having Doctor Manhattan and Superman together. I mean, it just sounds like a great idea, right, Jeff? <laughs> and Jeff, <laughs> Jeff, was, Jeff Jones was sitting there like, "Man, yeah, that is a good idea." Back in 2012 or whatever. Um, yeah, we're talking so about you're Watchmen. Tell, you're, you're telling me Jeff Johns has Doctor Manhattan powers, where he's seeing things throughout time simultaneously. <laughs> I, it was. I was thinking much more linear, linearly, as in Zack Snyder was talking to Jeff Johns in 2012, <laughs> and then Jeff Johns, as as happens in our our normal perception of time, he would he would later implement. We're talking about Watchmen. Uh, yeah. d- say things about it, Alex. You have yeah, sure. Stuff. I love uh, the alternate so wa- history where Jeff Bezos was in charge of DC instead of <laughs> Jeff Johns. So Watchmen. There's a, there's a Lex Luthor joke in there. Continue. <laughs> Watchmen, directed by Zack Snyder from 2009, his first foray into superhero films. It has. A 65% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and a 71% audience score. Higher than New Mutants. Hey, that is a good that is a good metric. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. I I think we should uh probably set up some context real quick. Both of you watched the theatrical cuts for this, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um. So there are three cuts for this movie. There's the theatrical cut. There's the director's cut, which is about half an hour longer, and that's the one I watched. And then there's the ultimate cut, which splices in the Black Freighter animated adaptation of the in-universe comic in Watchmen. Um, I have watched that version. I think the Black Freighter stuff actually does not work at all in the movie mostly due to the animation style being like very modern and it doesn't mm. match kind of the feel of watchmen yeah. i don't know it's it's very strange but um yeah so just laying that out there so yeah i i don't know if we'll really get into like details and differences between the different cuts it's mostly just smaller stuff and there's a couple of kind of key scenes that are added back in for the director's cut but i wouldn't say it's major or really affects the movie all that much but, and we have all read the book, yes? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I read it last year, so it's fairly fresh in my mind. I mean, in as much as a book that, that dense can be. Mm-hmm. Um, it is It is a book that I love. I think it's 
absolutely stunning, but it is also a book that I cannot profess to fully understand. Sure. Like I will talk, I'm sure I'm going to talk a lot about like the differences in the, the ways I feel the movie did and didn't live up. But like, I just don't want to, I'm not going to try to explain the book because I know that there are things that Alan Moore intended that I didn't pick up on. And there's also a lot of ways to read it. The book is kind of a Rorschach test in that way. <laughs> um, that there's a lot of like stuff that I know is just kind of flying over my head. Sure. But, um, I have, yeah. I have both read the book and watched the director's cut of this within like a, probably like a one week span about five or six years ago when Alex showed me both of them. Uh, so, yeah. I, I Britain, you will be our uh, our source of knowledge, I think, on details from the Oh, you've got it there. Yeah, I got the book Reader, right here. Britain has pulled the book out, and he is pointing it at our heads. We're in <laughs> danger. <laughs> Quit pointing that watchman at my family. <laughs> um, but, yes, well, we, will, uh, we will rely on that knowledge because... There, are, I had several questions that I um, wanted to bring up on here, just in terms of like what the differences were, and and several points because I do remember a decent amount, and also it's a it's a book that just gets discussed so much, especially in, in any sort of comic book forums and things that are like it's hard not to know the plot pretty well and, and know a lot of the details pretty well. But we will get into it. Yeah. So who 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 should start us off with bests and worsts? I I can because mine are short. Sure. And I also yeah. I don't I don't know how Tyler felt about it this time around. But Britain, I'm guessing you're probably the most negative on it. Probably, and not even in the sense that I'm like, oh, this movie sucks. Mm-hmm. But just like I I I will say I watch it all in one sitting, which is really weird because I never <laughs> do that with movies. Um, movies that I like, including the one I'll be recommending on tonight's episode. It takes me a lot longer to watch than this one. Um, but I did. So I, I, a lot of the things that I really think sum up my problems and the things I, I, I do and don't like about the movie are, are such bigger, more complex things that like for my best and worst, I chose fairly simple things that we can just kind of be like, I liked it or I didn't like it. Okay. We can save the other stuff for, for further in. Um, so for my best thing, I'm going to say, I imagine one of y'all are going to mention the cinematography, so I'll just say the cast. Um, I think that, I don't think anyone in this movie is amazing, Mm -hmm. but I think it is overall very solid. I think it is, I think it is well cast. And I think that, you know, this is something that like, I, I I buy about 90% of the cast as those characters come to life. Sure. Which I think is something that largely I think the movie does um, uh, succeed in. Um, Matthew Good I kind of struggled with as, as Ozymandias. Yeah. And Carla Gugino I kind of struggled with a little bit. But that's some that's for a reason that I'll tie into my worst thing. Um, but like I thought I thought Patrick Wilson worked. Jeffrey Dean Morgan, always good. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Jackie Earl Haley, of course, is great. Um, but by and large, I just thought like, oh yeah, this cast works. Like I, I, I'd already, I had already seen the movie, I think twice before I read the book. So Hmm. like, I, I still went into the book with these care, with these actors in my head, but it's different when you have a comic book and you're literally looking at the, at the intended figures. And by and large, I think how I read those characters in my head and how I see them in the movie at all essentially works. Um, for my worst thing, I'm just going to go with the make like practical makeup. I feel like some of it looked kind of like 
almost a little cheap. Like Carla Gugino's old age makeup looked a little fakey to me. Richard yeah. Nixon. Looks I think <laughs> Nixon's ridiculous. probably the the obvious example of like that's you you completely missed the mark on that. Yeah, one. he doesn't look like Nixon. He looks like Craig T. Nelson. He doesn't look like Nixon. And, yeah. and when I first saw that, I was like. Maybe this is like the movie's like, ah, we're making fun of Nixon and making him look silly because Nixon's like safe to make fun of. Sure. And then I was like, oh, no, I think the makeup in this movie is just kind of weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> I recently watched uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, and, and not to go off on a whole spiel, but Martin Sheen is in that movie as J. Edgar Hoover. And his makeup is distract. It was distracting mm-hmm. for me and he just looked kind of strange. Similarly to how Nixon looked in this, so there's and uh, a Matthew Good's wig was a little distracting for me as well. Um, nothing, huh. nothing to the point where I was like, "Well, I just can't even accept this. This yeah. is just ridiculous." You weren't seeing like the zipper in the back of anybody's prosthetic head or anything, but like it. Um, th- there were just a few points where I was like, "I feel like the budget allowed for something a little neater than." <laughs> Than uh than this Suicide Squad it is not <laughs> no Academy Award winning <laughs> for makeup film Suicide Squad it is not uh so yeah those are those are my easy ostensible best and worst thank God Black Panther won some Oscars right <laughs> right <laughs> and Spider Verse but uh, yes um I can go next I I think I'm probably the most positive on the movie I would guess. Um, my best thing is just going to be the overall, not necessarily world building, because it's just world building from the comic, but kind of the, the faithfulness and the attention to detail. It's very clear that, you know, we can argue whether or not Zack Snyder's interpretations are, are, you know, completely accurate to what Alan Moore was intending or kind of how he changes things to fit his vision. Right. But I think he... It's very clear he he does like Watchmen, yeah. and he really wants to try and carry as much off the page and onto the movie screen as he can. Um, I, there was just so many neat little details, e- even just the opening montage to help yes. establish what this world is like in the alternate history element of it. Like it's such an interesting blend, and I I still and maybe this is just because I haven't explored enough you know comic book material, but. I feel like I haven't seen this kind of level of like alternate history world building in anything. Yeah. That that kind of is approaching this angle. Um and and I, I don't know. It's just very clear that Zack Snyder has a passion for this. And even down to like the costumes, I know the makeup's a little iffy, but mm-hmm. but all the costumes, like he, I remember them releasing like a book of just all of the costumes, like all of the actors like just doing costume chat- tests. They released a whole book about that. <laughs> and I think they they made like a under under the hood because that's Hollis Mason's book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They made like a documentary about it. Oh wow. In the world of the movie and released that. Like that's all really cool. And and you know, I, I didn't think the the Black Freighter animated movie was very good from what I saw of it, but like the fact that he was willing to do that. And mm-hmm. I feel like that is the easiest thing to cut. Um, yeah. in terms of material from the comic, because it's like yeah. that literally is not part of the plot. That helps thematically with what's going on. It's a metaphor, but we can literally strip that out, and it changes none of the major plot points. Um, but he wanted to make that into a little animated movie, so I respect that. Um, I don't know, just just all of that stuff. That this is like, 
I don't want to say it's it's easy to just kind of turn your brain off while watching this movie, but I, I this movie for me almost has like this hypnotic feeling to it where it's just like this world is just so interesting. I just kind of get lost in it. Um, As though Moloch himself were, were working one of his mesmerisms on you. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. Thank you, Britton. I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> My worst thing is probably going to be Snyder's overall um, attempt to make things seem cool, sure. which I know is maybe an obvious place to go based on our criticisms of, of his other stuff that we've reviewed. Um, he does in interviews talk all the time about wanting to make things cool, but I, I, I can kind of pinpoint two specific things that, that kind of help, uh, make my point. And number one is the action sequences. Mm-hmm. Um, cause in Watchmen, it's very much supposed to be what if superheroes existed in the real world and it's supposed to be an alternate unit, alternate history take. And the only thing supernatural or, or like the only person with like extra powers is supposed to be Doctor Manhattan. Is uh, is Ozymandias not? Um... He's just super smart. He's like, just really, really okay. For some reason, I thought stuff. he had some like extra. No, he's going he's on. just like, a really smart guy. Okay, um, yeah, I, I, that was the thing about him is like he's like the perfect person because he's super athletic and super buff mm-hmm. in the right. book. And also super duper smart and can make a, a big links <laughs> right. character, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's all it's all real world people. Um, but like even in the action sequences in the book, they're presented as very real. Like um, mm-hmm. when uh, Night Owl and Silk Spectre, they get you know they're walking over to Hollis's place and they get stuck in that alleyway with the knot tops and they're having to beat them up. It's it's just kind of straightforward. It's not super overblown. But in the movie, the the violence is overdone to the point of almost parody. Like, yeah. it's, it's just kind of ridiculous. And I remember watching it and, and, and thinking, like, is there supposed to be a satirical point to this? And I'm, try, I'm trying to take out kind of my, my thoughts about Zack Snyder and his other work. And it's like it's very clear that he just wants to make it cool. Um, I was trying to think about it. It was like, does this kind of work as, like, a parody of superhero movies and how they do action sequences maybe is there something there because i was thinking like even down to the costumes like they give ozzy ozymandias a joel schumacher a suit complete with nipples Mm -hmm. which i thought was an interesting choice and kind of they they give night owl like a very traditional kind of batman-esque suit instead of like what it is in the comic so i was i was thinking along those lines and i could i I couldn't really glean anything from it. It just feels like it's over-glorified violence for no point at all. Yeah. Um, and I found a lot of the wire work in the action sequences distracting. Um, the end bit where Night Owl and Rorschach are trying to fight Ozymandias is yeah. pretty terrible. And Night Owl just pulls out a laser pistol thing or something. Yeah. And I was like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I know we have like we, we have Archie, his big not-Batwing um, yeah. vehicle, and that goes along with the alternate uh, universe take where, you know, technology has developed in a slightly different way, yeah. but only in these small ways. Um, it hasn't, like, completely changed where everybody's got, like, laser guns and stuff right. now. I, I don't know. It, it just seemed really weird to me, and, and the action sequences, even when they weren't, like, over-the-top violent, just, like, the wire work and stuff, like, it was very stylized, and what I gleaned from the book was that it wasn't supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I think that 
one of the book's angles is not even necessarily what if superheroes were real, but what if people tried to be superheroes? What if people tried to be mm-hmm. vigilantes? Right. And obviously, because like I said there is one superhero, and that's Dr. Manhattan, but like everybody else is just a person. And so you, when you have those fights presented realistically in the book, it kind of drives home that like this isn't really that cool. Like it yeah. isn't – it isn't – There people are getting hurt, and it's kind of clumsy. And so like, hey, maybe vigilantism isn't actually that effective and doesn't yeah. – not saying we shouldn't help each other, but like maybe this form of it isn't really what it's cracked up to be. But then the movie kind of undoes that by going, it's really awesome. <laughs> and <Right>. like, <laughs> it's it's an odd kind of juxtaposition where it's like, in in other superhero movies, I do want those fights to look cool because I understand I'm 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 in a fantasy land and that's right. where I want to be. That's why I'm watching a superhero movie. But with this, it's like I, I actually did come to Watchmen for something different. <laughs> Well, yeah. I think fortunately, the fact that this adheres pretty strictly to the plot points of the book, it's not as big of a deal because sure. the ultimate outcomes of those fights are still what happens in the book. Like Ozymandias fighting Night Owl and Rorschach, it's not this super cool overblown fight that ends with them beating him. Right. He he kind of easily kicks their yeah. butts, which is what happens in the comic. It's just in a more realistic, less overblown way. Yeah. Um and e- even, like, the Rorschach trying to escape the police scene, which might be the worst culprit, um, just in terms of speed up, slow-mo, mm. all of that, um, where it's like, oh, he's kicking their butts, isn't that cool? And he, he lit up the fire, and he's he's blowing fire on all of them, and he jumps out the window, and, like, I was getting Matrix Reloaded vibes when <laughs> Neo's fighting all the Smiths, when you just see mm-hmm. the cops running into frame, and he's he's taking them all on. But Rorschach ultimately loses, and he gets his mask taken off, and he's shown to be just kind of this crazy guy. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like while it is a problem, I think the fact that, like I said, it, it sticks to the plot points pretty closely, it, it kind of keeps that from being, like, too much of a, a, a problem for me, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I feel um, like my – because – and uh, spoilers, this was my – my worst thing is specifically the violence Um because I really feel like it needs to take the approach that the Daredevil uh, Marvel Netflix show had, where it's very like, oh, it you can't just punch someone down. Like, you have to, like, the the obviously that show is famous for, it's like hallway fights and stairway fights, and it's like, the reason those are so good is because you're just watching Daredevil just, like, go back and forth with these guys, and like knock them down and they get tired and they get back up and he gets tired and get and it's just this like exhausting thing. And I feel I I was I found myself really like uh feeling like I like we'd missed out on something when because that could have been the approach this movie took and I think that would have been really effective especially with how powerful Dr. Manhattan is in comparison. Um right. So yeah. Yeah. I guess going along those lines, kind of my other main point of critique for for my worst thing is just how the more despicable characters in the movie um, are are made not necessarily likable. I feel like a lot of the the despicable aspects of their characters that is present in the book is just sort of removed Mm -hmm. um, in the movie for the sake of making them cool. Like Rorschach, I feel like he's 
significantly not changed. Like I said, it's, it feels like details are just stripped out um, yeah. to make him more palatable. Now, I don't remember, but in the uh, director's cut, at least, he does make a couple of cracks at, at like, uh, you know, mindy, mentally handicapped folks when he's talking about um, just the general populace of New York. And then uh, he does make that homophobic comment towards Ozymandias. Hmm. Um, which I don't remember if that's in the theatrical cut or I not. I don't know if either of those are. I don't remember either of them. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I don't know. Maybe that was a studio note to Snyder, but... <laughs> yeah, sure. I imagine some of that was just a matter of, like, what he could get past the censors yeah. and yeah. what he couldn't. Or but, what they... At the same time, I, I do feel like... What they thought would uh, spin up a controversy uh, sure. if they released it and needed to cut back on him. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I feel like the the movie has a bit of a problem in terms of glorifying some of the characters. Like, the comedian, they make him out to be, like, more of an anti-hero mm-hmm. in the movie. Yeah. And it, it's, it doesn't really help when you're showing, like, slow-mo shots of him on a helicopter and he's shooting people and it's supposed to look so cool. Yeah. Um, it when does it's like keep... he's... Yeah. What he's it, doing is terrible. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it does keep keep in the important scenes, like him shooting the the Vietnamese woman that right. that is carrying his child. Like they they do continue to keep those elements in there, but I, I don't know. It's just the way everything's framed, and it's kind of that. There's a weird disconnect where Snyder's trying all what he seems to be doing with with all of the slow motion is he's trying to kind of capture shots from the comic and make it feel like very very much like it's out of straight out off the page but the problem with that is oftentimes that feels like it's just glorifying things yeah. instead of being like no 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 that's we're, we're supposed to be criticizing all of this yeah. it's yeah. kind of the point um so yeah I, I feel like in in some ways there's just a weird disconnect but other characters i feel like are pr- pretty accurate to, to what alan moore was going for so i don't know i i don't want to i don't want to get too much into like Zack Snyder's political beliefs or any anything like that because he's you know apparently he's on record as being a very uh Ayn Rand objectivist type follower and I think that's very much evident in, in his <laughs> uh Superman material um so maybe that's why some of some of these characters are a bit more palatable I don't know um but yeah just making something cool just for the sake of making it cool is not cool <laughs> Well, I think it's fine if you're making... Is that your quote on the poster? That is my quote on the poster. I think it's fine if you're making Dawn of the Dead. You know, if you're making, yeah. like, a, just a genre, like, hey, this is just about... This is an action movie where we're fighting aliens or zombies mm-hmm. or whatever. It's like, yeah, cool, make, make that's fine. But when you're taking something that is trying to make commentary and you're just removing its teeth so it can look more awesome. Yeah. 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 Which, I mean, to his credit, it does look cool. <laughs> that that ties in perfectly to my best thing, which is that <laughs> the movie looks real good. Um, I think <laughs> this might be... I have not seen a lot of Snyder's film, filmography, actually. I haven't seen um, 300. I haven't seen Sucker Punch. I have not seen Guardians of Gahul. Uh, <laughs> and so that will be the eventual follow-up trilogy we do. Uh, that's the Snyder's non-superhero trilogy, and we're going to do those later on in the podcast. It's going to be great. Uh, <laughs> very cohesive. Uh, but no, I I think it really is like a 
a gorgeous looking film. Um, yeah. The, Snyder's use of color in this, and I guess is I don't know who did cinematography. Cinematography. Uh, Larry for this. Fong. I looked and it up. Was he? Did, he did BVS. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Man of yeah, Steel. He also. He, no. Uh, hmm. No, I think he did Sucker Punch though. Okay. Yeah, that sounds right. I think he did 300. He did Kong Skull Island. Um, oh, very nice. Yeah. Um, I think <laughs> Zack Snyder was just like, you know, Man of Steel, I'm just going to do it all handheld. <laughs> do the entire thing handheld. And Larry Fong's like, it's a Superman handheld? He's like, yeah, I'm going to do the whole thing handheld. It's going to feel yeah, real. Little and Larry Fong just walks away. <laughs> little known fact, uh, Zack Snyder was uh, so inspired by Steven Soderbergh that he shot all of Man of Steel on iPhones. Um, <laughs> Steel lies in videotape. <laughs> No, uh, the the use of color in this film, and Alex, you mentioned the costumes, um, I think is fantastically done. And, like, especially oh, yeah. compared to what we had at the time in superhero movies, like, not just because the movie looks really good, but because the costumes are the costumes. And there's well, not... For the can, most part. I mean, I, in terms of the, like, an adaptation of the the heroes and what they look like and uh what the colors are in the comics and things like that like it stays very faithful to that and especially snyder is the one i i get i get our various like cynical superhero creators confused here snyder is the one who said that uh you know you can't shoot something about colors something about like you can't have superman in bright red or, or or, or he said something like, you can't shoot a couple of actors in superhero costumes in broad daylight talking to each other because in 10 seconds it gets ridiculous. Or something like Interesting. that. Interesting. I mean, I guess that's... I guess the movie does not have much daylight, and maybe that's... that's I mean, I could, okay be, I could be completely wrong. I maybe think you're the, right, the, though. I think Maybe it's a completely different context. Um, and so it's just kind of interesting to me, because this one is like, no, you know... Um, that, like... I don't know. I feel like everyone is very like has lots of pops of color um, when their costume calls for it. Uh, and yeah, like, I'd say the biggest change to that is Ozymandias, whose whose costume hmm. in the book is literally a bright like like uh, almost mauve, not really sure. mauve, but like fluorescent pink with this big <laughs> gold like. It's kind of silly, but that's the point. Right. Um, right. And in the in the movie, it's like much more dark and metallic. Yeah. It's still, uh, it's, I mean, in the, in the movie, it's basically a Robin suit from Batman yeah. and Robin yeah. minus the Robin symbol. Sure. Yeah. Um, but it's still got like color to it. And that was, yes, uh, yeah. that's, that's just what I kept coming back to. It's like, Oh wow. Like you can, and this is the difference between something like this and the end of BVS when, uh, the, the movie sort of dissolves into this gray, brown, orange mess. And like, all the characters have very dark costumes and it's kind of, and like doomsday is just a big gray blob. And like, it's so much harder to, to like track even just, just in terms of understanding what's happening. It's, it's so much less interesting and your eyes do not automatically just perceive it. Whereas in this movie, it really is like the, the movie is very, very dark, but there's lots of like the costumes, the backgrounds, the neon in the background, things like that. Um, there there's there's tons of just constant ways to find to make the scene look good even though it is dark um and i think it's really impressive it's a good job it's well done yeah it's it's interesting because like you said it, it he's he does mess with the the color timing of the movie he does kind of make it 
more desaturated in a way mm-hmm. but he counterbalances it in certain ways like like striking colors mixed in with with the darkness that's that's what really works and that's why i you know i, I think all of us have problems with his dc movies just because he 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 drains the color saturation but then he doesn't do anything else like he doesn't add like little flourishes of color um and that's i i don't know it, it's so strange how he, it's almost like he goes backwards in his style. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I do feel like the, the book is very bright. Mm-hmm. Like the illustrations of the book are very bright and very forward and, and colorful. And so, I, I almost said that my best thing about the movie was Dave Gibbons because I think that <laughs> when the movie looks best, it's when it is clearly just doing what he did. Yeah, um, the the color palette in the book. I remember him talking about this. He was like, "I mainly use secondary colors. I used mm-hmm. you know greens and and purples and oranges. Um, so that's what they used to try and inspire the color palette of the movie." Yeah. Um, it's also funny because Alan Moore doesn't get a credit on this because he didn't want one. So then it's just like <laughs> co-created by Dave Gibbons. And I'm like, well, yeah, takes two to co-create. Probably is probably does owe more to Dave Gibbons than Alan Moore in terms of what the movie ended up being. Sure. Yeah. Well, because I, I, one of the elephants in the room for this is the Watchmen miniseries that came out a couple years ago that I have not yet finished because I'm bad at finishing TV shows. I'm going to because it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I just haven't, but that, that show, and, and so, so no, we're not going to do any big spoilers about it, but I will just say you get to see Ozymandias's costume and it is exactly like it is in the comics. And I think it's so effective mm-hmm. at yeah. making, at just kind of reminding you of like, oh, right. Ozymandias is kind of ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. It's all kind of ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I had a moment in this where I realized that, so so Rorschach is not supposed to be a, a likable character. Rorschach is not someone we're supposed to admire or look up to. Rorschach is, from what I could interpret, part of what Alan Moore was saying was, hey, if we just try to be vigilantes, eventually somebody like Rorschach is going to try to be a vigilante. And obviously Rorschach's pain comes from a very legitimate place. It's not his fault. But he has turned into this incredibly violent dangerous person who'll just kill people Mm -hmm. like that's not a good thing and we should (laughs) we should understand like who are the people that want to be costumed heroes sometimes it's it's night owls it's dan drybergs who are just good people who want to like make the world better and think this is a good way to do it and sometimes it's his rorschachs but i never in the book that i feel like rorschach was truly silly i felt like he was satirical there are parts in the movie where he comes off kind of silly to me sure and I think a lot of that just came from, you know, Rorschach has these, he drops articles and stuff and when he talks and is always like, and when I first started reading the book, I was like, oh, he, he, it's just, he's being very matter of fact, like dead dog, saw it in the street, yeah. tire tracks split open, guts. But then later I realized, no, he just talks like, like in conversation, he just talks like that. And I think hearing it out loud just sounded a little sillier. And that's not a drag on Jackie Earl Haley, who I sure. think is quite good. But hearing hearing him in the movie, I was like, "This is this is kind of ridiculous <laughs> in a way that I don't think is helping the, the point." I remember because the uh, well, I I guess that's not even true. I don't know. I remember 
thinking that he seemed like he was almost supposed to be like Russian or something like that when I was first reading the, the sure. book because of the way he uses that. He has that grammar. And I feel like especially in the movie, it's very noticeable with the uh, the curtains roll on snare drum, um, yeah. that the famous line. I feel like the way it's done in the movie is weird. I feel like that doesn't... I don't know if it's maybe not slow enough or like... Maybe it's just really not clear how exactly that was supposed to come across from the comic. Mm -hmm. Because in the comic, you can kind of just write that, like Alan Moore can just stick that there. And like, as the reader, you'll kind of read it in pace with the panels that it's going over. And just kind of like, the whole thing works. Uh, Whereas, yeah, I feel like hearing it out loud, it, it doesn't... It's like, is this... Is this his inner monologue? Is he writing this down somewhere and just making quick notes? Like, what what exactly right. was that supposed to be? Because I don't think this was it. <laughs> um. Yeah, and, and this kind of is... is the, I, so, so, so just as I, my thesis statement for my, my view on this movie is, I think that this book just doesn't work as a movie. Yeah. I think this is... My, the, my best comparison is the film adaptation of Into the Woods, <laughs> which... Sure. Is a movie I watched a rewatch not too long ago and realized like the way this show is written and staged is so theatrical. It's such a theater show. You have to cut so much and splice so much and rearrange so much to make it into a movie, which is you always have to do that when you adapt from medium to medium. You 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 rearrange mm-hmm. how you tell something, and that's fine. But I think that that show just works on stages. It's, it's just hard to make it into a movie, and that's fine. And I think with Watchmen, it's a similar thing. I, I think this movie, for me, is a really good example of why accuracy is not what makes an adaptation successful. Accuracy is extremely important. If I go to see a, a movie based on a book I've read, I want to see those characters. I want to see that story. But you also have to have everything underneath it. And you have to understand that, like, why was that story put in the medium it was put in originally? And I think that... For me, it's such a comic book. It's so, it's like, this is, I am, yes, the the story you can tell in all these different ways, but like this experience is about the comic book experience. It's about panels and uh, uh, thought bubbles, whatever, speech bubbles and all that kind of stuff. And and I think that the movie does a lot of things very well. I mean, I do think it brings it to life very well. And I think it does repeat it very well. But at times I feel like that's kind of all it does is just repeat yeah. it. And that's not a bad thing. And I know that like I probably got more out of watching this this time than I did the previous time. Because like, okay, I've read the book. I understand what's going on with all these characters and I and I, I, I get it. Some of that is just a matter of volume. It's just a matter of if you have more time in a book to really drag, really take your, those conversations and explore them. Really get into these conversations between Sally and her mother. Like just lean into it and it's harder to do that unless you're doing something like a director's cut and you're going to do a a, you know page by page adaptation but so much during this movie i felt like this the the experience i had watching the book can't really be replicated by putting it into a movie for for me Mm -hmm. um i i just think it works so well and is so intended yeah Uh, Uh, And that's something we can touch on more in other details of the movie. I don't want to monologue too much, but I'm Rorschach over here. um, I definitely agree, and I think that is why I I joked that 
this is part of a series in bad Alan Moore adaptations. And I don't necessarily say that because I think the movie is straight up bad, but because yeah, I, don't I don't think it's a, it's a great adaptation in the same way that I don't think <laughs> most other Alan Moore adaptations work. And the reason is because Alan Moore is a very, very good, not just a very, very good. He is like the best comic book writer. Like that. It's, it's almost undebatable, <laughs> unarguable. Mm. Um, because he is he has had such an impact on the medium and because he gets how to write within the realm of comics so well um and there like i just don't i don't think you can take out the fact that the what makes the stories work originally is that he is such a master of the craft yeah. i just don't know if you can like separate that i think the movie is a really impressive attempt to capture the whole thing um, and I, I, I had pretty much the exact same thoughts as I was watching it. I was like, man, this is, this is a really like good shot at it. And it's probably the best shot anyone will ever take, you know, setting aside uh, Snyder kind of influencing his own style on it, just the overall approach and the casting and the, the way you, they've kind of broken it down and made it something that can actually fit within a decent runtime. Um, and the fact that like Snyder is someone who is willing to make long movies uh, mm -hmm. So he's willing to make the, you know, really, really keep you in the seat for almost three hours, even in the theatrical version. Um, it's, I, I think, like, it's proof. It's like, all right, well, they tried it. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's just, not, I don't think you can get the same, the same breadth um, from it. And it's not quite the same way that, like, a book, when you try to adapt a book to a uh, a movie, I feel like. Mm -hmm. Um, comics just have a different uh, being able to see the things and the fact that comics are so dialogue heavy because you you don't have yeah. to describe what's happening like it just adds right. such a different feeling to it that you can't replicate all that well um, yeah because it is a weird it is a weird combination of being a visual medium but you still have to you still have to fill in the blanks mm -hmm. like in action sequences you still have to connect yeah. like it is this weird sort of combo of of a book and a movie. When a book's just a movie in your mind. Hey, Alex. Yeah. Alex. So, so for the director's cut, what yeah. sort of things are added? Because you know, I, I just talked about time and volume and what you can flesh out. Like, what what are the sort of things that are added in the director's cut that I assume help deepen and enrich some of these things? Um, for the most part, I think it's just small bits of dialogue. Like mm. I said, it seems like some of Rorschach's more. Uh, despicable lines are gotcha. in that version um there's also some scenes where i, I think when uh when silk specter is getting interrogated about oh dr manhattan left what do you what did you have to do with it i think that's oh, a bit more extended okay. where the doc uh, the scientists come in they're like he's on mars and then she has to kind of get out of there and she's like i'm gonna live my own life now i'm not gonna be under your control anymore so there's a nice little character beat there um the big one that I remember is uh, the death of Hollis Mason. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They do cut that. Out of I rem picture. yeah, yeah. Um, which is actually like a really nice scene because mm -hmm. the not tops are like, oh, uh, apparently that night owl guy. He's you know, he sprung Rorschach out of prison, and and oh, apparently he lives just down the street at that that uh, that that auto uh, repair place. Um, and they go and they attack him. And it's a really interesting scene. I think this is actually where some of Snyder's uh, 
stylistic flourishes actually work to the movie's benefit because hmm. every because he actually gets into a bit of a fight with them and he's actually able to hold his own for a little bit and every time he punches one of them it cuts back to the 40s and it's like he's punching one of mm-hmm. his villains oh cool and then they that. eventually end up beating him to death and they have the um is it in memoriam or in gratitude the the statue that uh he was given a long time ago they beat him with that and it's kind of dropped on the ground and that's kind of the final shot as they leave um it's actually like a really really cool scene and then there's a follow-up to that when uh rorschach and night owl go to the bar and they you know they confront that guy and that's where they start learning that some of these uh secondary characters like all work together um and rorschach breaks the glass in the guy's hand and it's Mm -hmm. actually that I found kind of visceral. Yeah. Um, there's a knot top who's sitting kind of off to the side, and Night Owl sees on the TV that Hollis is dead, and he nearly beats the knot top guy to death. Hmm. And he's like, I'm going to burn this whole neighborhood to the ground, and Rorschach has to kind of like drag him out of the bar. Wow. Um, actually, it's a couple of really powerful sequences mm-hmm. that I kind of wish stayed in the theatrical cut, but hmm. I understand why they were cut. Do they do any. Because uh, 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 Carla Gugino, who. Um... Wait, she's what? She's what's Sally Sil- Jupiter. She's the Sally first Silk, Jupiter. Silk Spectre. Yeah, Lori is the younger one. Yeah. Okay, Sally Jupiter. She's a, a she's a much bigger force in the comic. Like she's a a much bigger character, and they explore their relationship a lot more, which I think adds a lot to Lori and why Lori is a superhero, a costumed hero, and what she's doing. Because and I and she's not really used much in the movie except for the comedian stuff yeah, yeah. Is, is she given any more meat in the director's cut um the beginning of the scene where hollis gets attacked he's on the phone with her okay and they kind of you know they catch up on what's going on and she's like yeah. did you hear that uh my daughter and and uh night owl are apparently out doing stuff and he's like wow really um <laughs> i don't know there, there's a nice little scene where they they reconnect after so long being apart um but no no there's not a whole lot more given to her okay which is kind of unfortunate but at least she gets a happier ending than than the comic (laughs) true there's a scene in the uh in in the movie where well the scene where comedian attempts to assault her and then hooded justice comes in and beats him up and it was interesting watching it and i was like having watched what i have of the (laughs) of the miniseries like the scene is even better (laughs) Like this new image I have of Hooded Justice, yeah, um, is makes it even more satisfying. Yeah. I I feel like the, the 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 TV show is is you know its own entity, obviously, and is a sequel remix thing. And I think that that it is managing from what I've seen of it, the seven of nine episodes I've seen, um. Has, is is managing to be a better adaptation simply because it is an an original quote unquote story. So it's mm-hmm. like we're taking these ideas and making a TV story out of it. Um, and and I think that one of the things that I really love about the book is the supplemental documents that come with each issue. So that each issue is followed by an excerpt from Hollis Mason's book or Dan Dryberg's book, which might have been my favorite. Case files, you know, news reports, whatever. And I thought that was such a smart thing to do because it is – one, those are interesting. But that fills in all of the world building that would make the narrative over overloaded. 
so that then you don't have to have, you still have characters standing around and expositing to each other because you have to, but the the backstory of the Minutemen and mm-hmm. what happened to those people and who were they and how did that affect the world and the history of the world, all the, the the context that you need or a lot of that is in those supplemental documents. But those documents also enrich that so much. So not only do we have, oh, okay, I know who I know who who well, no one knows who Hood of Justice is, but I know that there's a character called Hood of Justice, and I know who the Mothman is, and all this stuff. But I also have an understanding of of the of the weight of those characters, and what that means for the world they're in, and that's just something that's hard to do in a movie. And I don't hold that against Snyder or whoever wrote it or anything. It's like, that is such a literary tool that, like, Alan Moore kind of fixed that problem without it really being a problem. He just sort of went, oh, I'll do this. And it adds so much, even though it's weird to read a book right after you've read a bunch (laughs) of comic pages. Um, Well, I I think the movie actually is able to, you know, deal with that a little bit, with that Oh, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I I do think the movie – for having that problem, I think the movie handles it fairly nicely. Right. I think they're able to make some of that expository dialogue work a little more naturally than a, a lot of movies we watch on this for this podcast. Well, that's that's the funny thing. Like, I feel like, and maybe this is just due to the script being really, really solid, if nothing else. I feel like this movie is just, like, really, really coherent. Mm. And, like, I, I don't feel like I'm getting lost at any point. And that's weird in a Zack Snyder movie. <laughs> <laughs> Especially adapting 12, 12 issues of the comic? I think 12, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah and, I, there there were times where I noticed, like, the pacing felt a little off. Because it was, like, yeah. I could tell I was, like, okay, you've adapted this one, like, issue. Basically, like, yeah. you, you've adapted a chunk. Uh, and there's not really, like, a great transition to get you into whatever the next thing has to talk about because you can you don't have to like have the exact same through line in every issue and when you're doing a comic um but yeah no i agree it's it's pretty impressive how it's like oh this this distills it into a story (laughs) i think the the dr manhattan sequence could almost be its own short film yeah like i I think that is just superbly done yeah i i think that section is does do a nice job of adapting the the page to the screen uh, pretty pretty fluidly. And I, I think that a lot of it, I, I think it it does a good job of like, okay, I understand the story. I think it's just that the movie feels shallower to me than than does the book. I I feel like I'm I'm coming at this from a different angle because I came to the movie first, not the mm-hmm. comic. Yeah. So I I did too way back when. Okay. Yeah. Um. But I've had multiple years in between each time I've watched the movie. So. Sure, and I actually watch the movie fairly regularly. Um, but yeah, I watching the movie for the first time, I, I was like, that's kind of my first exposure to Watchmen. I was like, okay, this is like a really neat story. And sure. I, I read the comic afterwards. But like the fact that the movie was my first impression, it the issues of like shallowness don't really bother me just because sure. I think it works as a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm yeah. I'm not I'm not as bothered by like. Well, it's, they have like two and a half or three hours. I'm okay if they leave stuff out. Um, right. But to your point about like, well, the comic is a comic for a reason. You can't really remove that when you're adapting it, which is why I understand why it's like supposed to be the unfilmable graphic novel. But I think even still, like the movie works as a movie, and I think that's the most important job that it has. Right. Um, and that's that's why I it kind of sticks with me. Um, probably why i'm the most positive on it um 
Yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's maybe maybe it is just the fact that Zack Snyder did not write the thing. Um, that might honestly be it, or he doesn't have really a whole lot of story input. It's mostly just this, you know, we've kind of siloed him off to, you're in charge of style, (laughs) (laughs) young Zachary. (laughs) Well, I think, because you had mentioned Snyder's own kind of philosophical, political perspective. Um, I think, and I had messaged you guys, I'm surprised how much he kind of stays out of the way of the original story. I mean, we talked about... right. The comedian and Rorschach, obviously, they they do get a little more like, oh, these these guys are kind of cool. Like they right. they get some of that, um, but I think that's more just his his style coming across. I don't think there's a lot of like changes to the text that actually make it seem like it's saying anything other than a lot of the things the original comic was saying, especially in terms of like keeping the stuff about the presidents. Uh, you know, like the, I I think in the comic there's a passing reference to the comedian. Uh, being the shooter on the grassy shooter on the grassy knoll, yeah, um, right. who kills Kennedy, and they show that in the the montage at the beginning, um, but also like oh Nixon gets reelected four times or five times or whatever, and yeah, um, Nixon's not shown in in the book, right? I don't think they f- actually show him. He's not it's like more an just like, like a character now. N- Nixon is in charge of it, but we never actually cut to him. He may or be on like the a TV screen or something. I don't remember him being like a featured right. figure. Whereas in in the movie, it's like, no, we're going to have, like, this Doctor Strange love set, and he's just yeah. going to be hamming it up, and it's going to be great. <laughs> um, and, yeah, the, the, like, it's a movie that really does, like, delve into that, at least as the background. It yeah. very much is like, yeah, this is this is the political, you know, spectrum that we're dealing with when we enter this world. Um and well, I, was, I, I think, was like, yeah, I'm glad they lean into that because I think that's part of the appeal is is the yeah. like we talked about the alternate history stuff. Well, I think that actually speaks to Alan Moore's ability to to write fully fleshed out characters. That even even if it's clear that that Alan Moore does not want you to like certain characters, he still fleshes them out and at least yeah. explains why they are the way they are. Yeah. And I think that you know, in, in terms of like interpreting the material, I think that can kind of. I don't know. I, I feel like that that might be a reason why Zack Snyder's not feeling the need to kind of change a sure. whole lot of stuff in it. Um, and it's also interesting because I, I briefly looked at some of the past attempts to um, make Watchmen leading up to this because it was in development hell for the longest time. The writer of the 1989 Batman movie took a pass at it, and the ending is Silk Spectre, Rorschach, and Night Owl showing up in the real world. Um and hmm. like they they travel between universes and they show up in a world where Watchmen is a graphic novel and it's just like why um and then there was like a, an attempt in the early 2000s and i think it was with Paul Greengrass and they were going to update it to modern day and it was going to be about like Afghanistan and a lot of more uh you know current day issues um which I feel like the the themes are actually like really resonant in Watchmen mm-hmm. that that it kind of just transcends the time period. Um, so I, I I don't know I I I don't know if it was Zack Snyder's call to be like no we're setting it in the eighties. I don't know whose call that was, but whoever <laughs> did that stuck with it. Yeah, yeah, I'm, uh, yeah. <laughs> on, on the note of maybe this is a whole whole spiel. We're going to have to talk about it. On the note of changing things how do we feel about the changed ending yeah my i will say 
and this is a purely cosmetic, shallow opinion. Bubastis looks better in the comics for me. <laughs> in the comics, Bubastis is this bright fuchsia, big old lynx tiger with these long, crazy tendrils like it's going to fight you in Final Fantasy X. And then in the movie, it's just like, I'm uh, kind of blue. <laughs> well, that's one of the weird things where Bubastis feels like he's out of nowhere. Yes. Like he comes out of nowhere in this movie. He feels Whereas, like that in the book too, but slightly less so. Well, the, when you realize Ozymandias is building a giant squid thing, like right. I, I feel like Bubastis, like, I don't know. It, it all kind of comes together. Yeah. It's less of a stretch where as in this one, like Bubastis just shows up and it's like, but why? <laughs> and then they have like the sacrificial death and we're like, I don't know what this is. I'm supposed to be sad about this death. What are you doing? <laughs> More I, like Matthew, not so good. <laughs> I think the ending is a very, like, it's it's a smart screenwriting turn. I think it's a, it's a smart way to be like, all right, we don't have time to do all that crazy stuff. We're just going to, you know, we'll just have Dr. Manhattan be involved in, in destroying all these cities. Uh, this is why Dr. Manhattan goes away. It's fine. It's fine. We'll just leave yeah. it there. Um, because I guess we should clarify for anybody who's not familiar with one or the other uh the ending of the comic is that there's been this long-running thing happening with ozymandias um where i forget who is investigating it in the comic or is it just like i mean rorschach is it rorschach mostly no well i think think the comedian is the one that does come across it oh yeah um because basically people are disappearing like artists and like scientists right and so like various people who are experts in their field are disappearing because it was ozymandias is bringing them together to create this giant squid monster like psychic squid blast monster thing that does it appear in multiple cities or is it just new york just new york just new york yeah okay um it shows up and, and destroys new york and then uh that unites the world because or seemingly at least that that's the idea is that the world will all come together to face this ex- seemingly uh, extraterrestrial threat um and so that's why like dr manhattan has to leave because he's like i can't or i'm i'm so like devastated by what i know and i want to i'm tired of these people etc cetera, etc cetera. i'm gonna leave um because if anybody finds out about this then we're gonna be back to square one and the nuclear armageddon can still happen um but at the moment everyone is like currently too focused on the outside threat to be focused on finding each other um and that ties into the watchman series the watchman series follows up on the comic events not the uh movie events right Right. so then in the movie the ending is just that ozymandias makes a bunch of bombs basically go off with uh dr manhattan's energy signature yeah, tachyons or something. Yeah, and and so then Doctor Manhattan leaves because everybody thinks that he's the one who did it. Um, I, it makes sense to consolidate it that way. I feel like it is not as like it doesn't hold up to as much scrutiny. Mm. Um, just because I'm not sure it. Basically, Doctor Manhattan is like a U.S entity yeah. i almost said property i guess but like he was created in the u.s and like they uh or the the rest of the world knows that dr manhattan is like a power of the u.s 
And I feel like especially making it so that he's blowing up a bunch of different cities around the world w- opens up a lot of room for like other countries to be like, oh, you know, either A, you lost control of him and it's your fault, or B, uh, you did this on purpose and sacrificed your own people to also kill the rest of us. Or something. Like, I feel like th- he's so tied in with the U.S. and their government that it's it's hard to extrapolate from that and think about what would happen. I mean, I think in the world of the movie, it mostly works. But I'm just trying to think about, like, why it wasn't him in the comics. Like, why there needed to be this other crazy thing that just had nothing to do with anything. Um, and I feel yeah. like that's that's where, for me, the disconnect comes in, is that if that was the case, then that would have a lot more political ramifications in the world of Watchmen than mm-hmm. just being like, oh, this is some insane thing. We don't know where it came from. Oh, Lord, we got we to gotta band together to fight it. And also yeah. it attacked the U.S. so clearly, you know, the U.S. it wasn't, it's, it was not involved, so we have to help them. And, like, right. I think that it, there, there is a major difference, but not, I don't know if it's enough to justify finding a way to insert the squid back into the movie. Sure. <laughs> um, what are you talking about, Tyler? When it shows all the, the computers on, you know, the computer monitors, it says squid. That's true. <laughs> it I, says it. I definitely I like the squid angle in in, in yeah. the book because I, it's just fun, um, but I, it's also something that I think because the series follows up on that in a really neat way. So it's kind of like any qualms that would have had about the book, like the TV series, mm-hmm. kind of fixed that in a way, which is not the intention of the book. But I the thing that was interesting to me about it is that the movie takes the angle of we are going to make Dr. Manhattan blamable for what happened. And the book is like, Dr. Manhattan will be so dismayed by humanity that he'll have to leave. And both are very cynical, but in very different ways. Mm-hmm. And I may be projecting here, but I, I, a lot of people talk about that to understand Man of Steel, you have to understand that Zack Snyder hates Superman and that kind of thing. I wonder if he also hates Dr. Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> Cause, or, or if it, I mean, and I don't, I know he didn't write the screenplay. And so the, I imagine those changes might've been for simplifications and the other things, but I think it does, it is a different interpretation where one version is like Dr. Manhattan has to flee for want of being blamed. And then the other one, he's like, people are terrible. I'm going to isolate myself. Um, not unlike a certain comic book writer. <laughs> sure. Which I also feel tracks a lot better with Dr. Manhattan as a character, as we see Mm -hmm. him, like the idea of him just being like, I'm done. I'm leaving. Like, and not, and making that choice himself and not having the, um, kind of external motivation to get out. Right. Uh, yeah. And, and that he, there really is a sense of finally of him going, what else can I do here? Like I, my 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 love affairs don't work. Like I can't connect with people on an intimate level. Like what is the reason for me to yeah. continue being here? Um, and uh, yeah, and, and I think especially cause, cause in the in the book, like Dan and um, uh, Lori do end up together, like happily together. And so I think that there is a sense of like there's there's nothing more for me. So I have to I have to go away. And also like I'm seeing what becomes of people. Maybe if I leave, things will get better, or at least 
I don't have to deal with it. <laughs> uh, it's 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 very interesting, and I don't, I don't really don't hate the change in, yeah. in the in the movie, but it, I I found the is is Rorschach's finale in the movie essentially the same, where he's like, no, I have to leave and tell people. It's the same yeah. essential. Okay, okay. Um, I know there's also some changes because in the book, Night Owl and Silk Spectre like end up having sex and there's a very pointed reference to nostalgia, which I know means things that I can't really unpack. Um, but in the movie, they're both just like, okay, I guess this is what's happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I am completely on the other side. I'm, I'm totally for that, this change. Um, mm. It makes a lot more sense to me, and I feel like plot points presented earlier in the story, even the comic, actually set this up very well. Sure. Um, the idea that Dr. Manhattan does abandon the world on TV. So everyone's already aware of that. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. That, that just makes more – the idea that the world comes together because of this and there's like world peace, I buy more in this than just a bunch of squid things that just show up out of nowhere. Um, uh, one squid thing. So. Uh, yes, yeah, excuse me, excuse me. Um, like, I feel like if there were just one squid thing, I feel like a lot of just other countries would just take that as an opportunity to attack the U.S. Um, I feel like there's holes you can poke in both. And like you said, Britain, I think the TV show for Watchmen retroactively kind of plugs in some of those holes. Yeah. Um, which, that's that's a credit I can give to that that i can't give to this which isn't fair um yeah i don't know setting setting up dr dr manhattan as the scapegoat oh, like i don't know that just makes sense to me and yeah. i buy that more i i think i just feel like something is lost from again that not being like an intrinsic thing that he decides mm -hmm. as opposed to the uh be, being kind of forced out um yeah and i, I mean like I don't know, still based on, on the way he talks about it in the movie, I feel like it's still, like, he doesn't have to leave. I I, yeah. I I like his comment when he's talking to Lori, and he's like, you know, maybe I'll go, you know, create some life out there or something. Yeah. Like, I don't know. He seems a bit more optimistic than I, I would I would think, you know, especially considering maybe Zack Snyder hates, <laughs> hates all of these characters. I don't know. <laughs> except, yeah. for, except for Warshak, everyone just thinks he's a cool dude. <laughs> I mean, I don't think he hates uh, Night Owl. I'm, I, I am also right now looking at the uh, the, the 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 pages of Squid, <laughs> and they are incredible, but also uh, deeply disturbing. <laughs> so, like, I can also understand not wanting to put that on a. Uh... This is a very funny thing. This is Big Squid and Doctor Manhattan reading the paper. Okay. Um, <laughs> It it is kind of strange that they're willing to keep Boobastis but not the squid. I would right. definitely think right. Boobastis would be an easy cut. Just be like, yeah. we don't need yeah. him to have a giant weird lynx creature. It's fine. Um, I uh, I want to talk it's about a... Rorschach's mask because it bothers me. Okay. Um, oh really? Because I know in the comic also it it's not like stable. Like it shifts. Yes. Like it, you know it looks different. And I. I appreciate that they're trying to replicate that, that it can, like, change. Um, I feel like 
there is never a very good explanation as to how that's possible in the movie. Oh, and there's think, no explanation. I think it's much more distracting in the movie where the, you, you're having to like, like in a comic, you can have a shift around and you can think like, oh, his, it, you know, maybe there's wrinkles and maybe it's just move, it's moving. I don't know. You can, like we were talking about comic as a medium earlier, you can kind of fill in the blanks and you can like between panels, you can imagine you know, how that might have shifted to look a little different. Right. In the movie, it's very much just like, it sometimes reacts with his emotions. Like sometimes the, mm. it cha- the, it changes. And I, I don't know how you do this well. And again, this goes back to the fact that the comic is just not really built to be adapted. Um, but in the, I was distracted multiple times in the movie where I was like, what is that? Why, why is they, this happening? Do they, they explain it in the book, right? I, yeah. I'm a, I, oh, do like they? A, I, I want to say that there's like maybe one of the supplemental documents is like his case file and that it describes like the ink was all these different, you know, polytechnic chemicals were pressed between fabrics. I I want to say there's something where he like worked at a fabric factory. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe. At some point and like that's where he got it. Okay. Yeah, I think it is still like fictional science, but like it's enough. There's an explanation. Yeah. Okay, (laughs) cool. Got it. I guess it, to me, it just it looks so much like an effect because it is um, right. And I I don't <laughs> I don't know how much how much the R and D department for the the can be how much money from the budget can be devoted to the R and D department to to figure out how to make like a real looking <laughs> Rorschach mask. Sure, <laughs> but I I think it could have looked better. Um, and I think it it it's because it, or even if they did give that explanation in the movie. I think that would have helped a little because I was just like, what, what am I supposed to take from right. this? How is this happening? Yeah. I think talking to Rochak, I, th- I think another, um, element that, that I was kind of missing is so, so in the, in the book, there's this running mo- motif, not really running thing of the new frontiersman, which is this far right conspiracy rag magazine that at the end Rorschach d- dumps his journal and a guy who works there ends up finding it. And the it's this whole like, oh, what if he puts that out into the world? What'll happen? Uh, again, followed up in the series, in the TV series. But in the movie, we don't really get that until he drops off the journal. We still get that same ending of like, oh, his journal is out there in the world. People will, will people learn the truth? Like, what yeah. are they gonna, what are they gonna, but, but I think that that means something very different in the book when you understand what this group is mm-hmm. and in the there, is in the theatrical cut it just seems like and he left it at a place <laughs> there there is um the director's cut does improve upon this there, okay. there's a okay. bit more with the um the newspaper uh stand guy and, okay. and the the comic book nerd who's sitting there there's a scene where rorschach goes up in plain clothes and he's got the end is nigh uh uh sign and the guy's just like oh it's your 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 right wing crap isn't in yet. Like just wait. Mm. And w- why why are you interested in that? Like those guys don't give a crap about you. Like mm. there's very clear pointed dialogue about that. And then it shows up, and they kind of throw the newspaper on the ground. And I think it's it's fairly quick, but I think there's a headline that's like very pro vigilante, and it shows mm. like Rorschach, comedian, and night owl on there. So there is more to it in in okay. in the movie. It's just. Not the theatrical cut. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Interesting. Um, <clears throat> so I want to talk about the the music. Yeah. Um, 
And to do that, to, to start, I want to go back to we keep we keep referencing this opening montage. That might be my favorite scene in the movie. I think it's so good. Um, it's this beautiful beautiful title sequence where it depicts the history of the Minutemen, the rise and fall, and again, it means more if you've read the book. But even if you haven't, you still get what what it means. It, and it's set two times there, a change in which I think is such a great choice. It's it's not too on the nose, but it's still very clear. Uh, it looks beautiful, really terrific and sequence. I believe there are Bob Dylan quotes in the comic. Uh, as yes, there are. What you may call it? Epigraphs? Is that a, is that yeah. a word? Doesn't, yeah. doesn't Do make each that up? issue end on like a quote or something? Oh, it might. Is it's at the end or the beginning? I don't I don't remember. But yeah, the beginning is the, the end. The, is the the beginning? Yes. There, there which, are... which which version of that smashing pumpkin pumpkin song <laughs> is used for the trailer to this? The very last, I mean, the very, very last quote is the who watches the Watchmen, but it's, it would be a string, a stronger world, a stronger loving world to die in, which is John Kale. This is a very small thing. I wanted to know you guys' thoughts on this. In the book, they're not actually called Watchmen. They're called the Minutemen. Right. And in this, in the movie, they're just like, the title's Watchmen. They're just (laughs) called Watchmen. I don't know. That's, that seemed a little silly, but I get it in terms of like, we're just going to streamline this yeah i I think yeah yeah i I had just forgotten about it but i think that again in the book it works because you can you can just plug in the quote who watches the watchman well you can do that in a movie too yeah yeah they should just got to do a minute um but also there's there's all the background stuff about uh dr manhattan's dad being a watchmaker and you know doomsday clock yeah i i think the uh I, I feel I feel like in order for you to explain why it's why they're called the Minutemen, even though the movie's called Watchmen, I think you need like another chunk of movie that isn't there, sure. <laughs> which is like all the stuff that gets covered in this montage and like all the stuff, the ancillary stuff we've been talking about right. um, from the comic, like the textual things. Uh, I think that's just like that's probably it's probably fine as is. <laughs> I think for yeah, the movie, yeah. you can yeah yeah I, audiences I will follow. I, so, I see, did. I did think some of the music choices were a bit on the nose. Well, that that's um, what I was was building to, yeah, is that I think that, yeah. that that choice is so beautiful, but then you get into I guess the two the the, the big offenders for me are <laughs> obviously Hallelujah. Now ha- let's, Hallelujah Let's just not go there. <laughs> well, no, I want to cuz I I this kind of leans into something. Yeah. But obviously Hallelujah is reported to be used in the Snyder Cut of Justice League. I will not be making fun of that because its significance to Zack Snyder on his in his personal life and to the story of this whole journey is completely different and is not funny. And I'm I'm actually happy that he's using it the way it, what it sounds like. It, it makes me happy. I think sure. that's like great. Totally works. Not a problem. Agreed. But in this movie, it feels so cheesy. Which, it, but cheesy in a different way, and not in necessarily a self-referential way. Just in a weird, like, did you not realize that this is just <laughs> weird? Like, and she hits the ejection button and the flame shoots out. Like, do you not really? This is strange. <laughs> but the other one is when they do Flight of the Valkyries of dur- during Manhattan killing the uh, Viet Cong, which I was like, the 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 difference between reference and repetition and just being like being referential and being derivative is so thin yeah and i don't know where this movie falls but i I also felt that uh 
doing the Jimi Hendrix all along the Watchtower was yeah. Number one, that that it it was a very weird place to put that song, but then yeah. also it's just I don't know. It seemed yeah, it's a bit on the nose. However, <laughs> maybe this is just because I like terrible rock music from from the two thousands. Um, <laughs> I did really like the My Chemical Romance cover of Desolation Row that plays at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I the Watchtower just made me think about um, Battlestar Galactica, but yeah. but yeah, it, it was just on the, the, the Valkyries one just threw me. Um, <laughs> Can I? I, like, uh, I, I, I get I do, it, but I do want to shout out Tyler Bates, um, who might be the most underappreciated composer in Hollywood because he composed this the the music for this as well as the Guardians movies. Um, hmm. So obviously he's been overshadowed by soundtracks many a time. He's done a right. lot of other movies too. Um, I think he really makes the uh, "I am tired of these people" Doctor Manhattan montage. Oh yeah, because um, there's this. It's it's very um, interstellar e or mm. interstellar is very this e. <laughs> Um, because it's this kind of running momentum. That's this ba- this light kind of background. I think it might be piano. Um, and that's that's just like kind of ebbing and flowing in the background. This this light melody. Uh, and so as Doctor Manhattan's talking about these things and like we're going through these flashbacks and seeing his whole life, I think it really brings the whole thing together. That scene are, already is edited very well and looks great. Um, that's probably my favorite scene of the movie. And I think that really... I don't know that his uh, score really comes through much outside of that. There were a couple of moments where I was like, oh, I wonder who composed this. I, I noticed that. That, that, was, that was music that I liked for a, a half second. Um, but I think in that scene, it, it works really, really well. So He also does very good uh, scores for the Guardians movies. Uh, so, yeah. Did he write that Guardians Inferno thing from the second one? I think so, yeah. That's a I lot think of he's, fun. he's the... Yeah, I like that. Maybe the biggest sin of this movie is that uh, apparently they play Everybody Wants to Rule the World in a scene. It's when uh, Ozymandias is talking to those uh, oh boy. oil guys, the corporate guys at yeah, his office. Yeah, and all them. Um, and apparently it's just playing in the background, and I only know that because I'm looking up facts about it. Um, I'm like, I like that song. They should have... <laughs> Should have beefed that up a little bit. Um, that is another scene where I thought the violence was way overdone and kind of sure. pointless. Um, when yeah. when uh, the the fake assassin tries to uh, take out Ozymandias, and we're just like showing slow motion his secretary getting her leg blown away, and yeah. she gets her finger shot off. I, like I, I don't know, it seemed a bit much. Yeah, and and there's a way to do gratuitous violence to depict why it is terrible and why this is a bad thing, and 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 there's this, <laughs> yeah, which is not that. Yeah, I yeah, Ozymandias felt kind of flat for me in the movie, and that may just come back back to lack of screen time, and I think some of it is the movie does a good job. Clearly, they are leaning more on Ozymandias is the smartest man in the world. That's what we're really focusing on. Right. Because as I mentioned in the book, he's also like jacked. He's the super athletic triple, like whatever Olympian, you know, but, and Matthew Good is like, he's in shape, but he's like a, just a naturally slender person. But then it makes like, Oh, he's also an awesome fighter at the end. Feel more kind of tacked on in a weird way. Yeah. I, I feel like the biggest problem with him is that, and I don't know if this is just Matthew Good's approach to the material or if it's the way he was directed. 
he's obviously the bad guy. Sure. In his first scene, yeah. he is the, obviously the bad. Like, there's no charisma. There's no likability to him. He's just yeah. kind of, he's just kind of cold and smart. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, superhero murder mystery. I think it's that guy. Right. Yeah. You need a. You need like an Anthony Starr or somebody. <laughs> you know, to, <laughs> right. To come in and sell that. Yeah, and I, I do like the subtle touch that he uses a very American accent. At first, and then mm-hmm. towards the end, he starts using a more German accent, and it's—I I feel like it's an easy detail to miss, but it's there. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I think that is also one of my biggest problems with the movie is that because of the way Ozymandias is treated, it's just like I feel like putting him under the spotlight as so much the villain kind of takes away from the richness of his character. Sure. And it's like the ambiguity of that ending and the choice that he makes and like the fact that all the, the watchmen end up not saying anything and they refuse to, you know, that, that choice, I feel like just making him basically an out bat guy just, yeah, I don't know that, that took away from the yeah. experience for me. Which is unfortunate because he's kind of one of the most important characters in the thing. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. I have a question about Moloch. Is he human? <laughs> because this is something that confused me in the comics. Because Moloch is just a guy, but he has like point, very pointy ears. And at first I was like, oh, this is just like a prosthetic he wore. Because the whole thing is Moloch is like leaning into trying to be this great supervillain and being like the arch nemesis of the Watchmen or, or whatever. But then in both, but he never ch- changes his ears. And in the movie, he was an old man with still the long pointy ears. And I just never understood if that's supposed to be like, that's just how he looks, whatever. Or if it was just like a, co- like, like Alan Rickman in galaxy quest, he just never takes off his alien prosthetic. I, I think it's supposed to be just like a birth defect or something okay. like that. That okay. right. That, 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 that was, that was sense, my takeaway. But... It's just like, oh, he looks kind of peculiar, so he decides to put on a costume. Right, right. Okay. Um, that makes sense. I think besides um, Matthew Good, I was pretty on board with the entirety of the cast. Yeah. I, I, one of Snyder's strengths, if nothing else, I think he's really good at casting. Um, everyone felt like right off the page for me. Um, I know Jackie Earl Haley was kind of overplaying it, especially with that voice. Um, I think, yeah, I feel like Snyder is really good at casting, but is not necessarily great at performances, like getting, getting performances out of the cast he selects. Oh yeah. No, Um, no, definitely. We'll, we'll talk about this next week, uh, in multiple ways. (laughs) Um, but yeah, it is, it is interesting. It's kind of, who was, was it? There's somebody we were talking about recently. Maybe it was it was Ryan Johnson. I don't know why we would have been talking about Ryan Johnson. I feel like it's come up on this podcast that um, I personally feel like he he does a spectacular job getting performances out of people, mm-hmm. um, even if it's not necessarily like a, a, what looks like a stat cast. Um, oh yeah, he got a he got a guy who actively hated the material to give like an Oscar worthy performance. <laughs> Which who, who are we talking? Mark about? Hamill. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. Um, I, I think that speaks to yeah. Ryan Johnson's skills with actors, yeah. if nothing I, else. I think I'm thinking of this because I recommended Brick a while back. And oh, sure. that is a movie that, like, it has Joseph Gordon-Levitt and probably nobody else the average person would recognize. Uh, and it's, it, like, everyone's really fun and great in that. Um, so, yeah. 
Oh, for sure. I, I, I definitely had that thought watching this. I was like, I don't think he's like an actor's director. Sure. Um, but I think everyone in, in it works. And the voice is a lot for Rorschach, but I also... And that's, again, the weird thing is like, that makes so much sense that that character would have that voice either naturally or he'd be feigning it because that's just sure. what Rorschach is. But then reading it as opposed to listening to it in a movie, it's like, this now seems yeah. strange. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think like Billy Crudup and Jeffrey Dean Morgan mm-hmm. and you know, Patrick Wilson and Malin Ackerman, I, I think they're yeah. all very, very strong. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Um, more like Billy Cutup. I mean, those abs, are you kidding me? Oh my God. Um, I did realize that this is the third, maybe fourth Patrick Wilson film we've done. Um, and we haven't and even yeah. done the, uh, Conjuring movies or whatever. <laughs> that's true and it's Fan- the, yeah because phantom bone tomahawk uh aquaman and aquaman yeah it's the fourth and he voices the president in batman versus superman so it's just a voice for a couple of lines so well there you go um, and we will and, do the conjuring movies because they're dc as we know yep <laughs> and billy crudup this is his second film that we've done um the other being tyler's favorite movie alien covenant <laughs> Huh. He deserves better. <laughs> yeah. I did really like, because I looked at some behind-the-scenes stuff of how they did the Dr. Manhattan effect, and he's wearing, like, a bodysuit with, like, a bunch of blue lights all over him. And that's... I feel like so many directors would just be like, and eh, you can just CG it later. I like how they actually are like, no, in the room, we need to have an effect where he's, like, the blue on his skin is so bright, like, it's it's yeah. on other people. Yeah. Um, I don't know. And, and somewhere the director of uh, Green Lantern is just uh, ah, just waving all of that advice away. <laughs> ah, it's Martin Campbell. Oh, <laughs> from The Foreigner. Um, a buddy of mine, years ago, whenever we would drive, uh, th- there's a, uh, a, I guess like a grain silo or something near uh, where we live. And whenever we would drive by it, you know, it's this tall thing with a sort of a rounded top and every time he drove past it he would go there go dr manhattan <laughs> every such such that now if i drive by it i just I, it's always in my head do, do we even need to address like the fact that they do s- stay faithful to the comic with dr manhattan being naked i mean i think it's i think it works I, I, I can't remember in the book is he covered when he's attacking vietnam because he is in the movie, and I found that kind of funny. That he was like, I only need one piece of armor. It's yeah, for my the, very important place. I think it's supposed to show in the flashbacks that my just... Treasure. I think over time he kind of cuts back on the costume. Because I think he starts off, he's wearing like... It's almost like a, a black onesie. Yeah. And then eventually he gets yeah. to... He's just wearing underwear and then just nothing. Yeah. So I wonder if yeah. visually that's just supposed to be like, no, he's getting more and more detached from humanity. So, I don't know. Mm. Well, so, interesting. Uh, interesting. <clears throat> I think we recently, maybe on Game of Thrones, which is not recently, but I think when we were talking about Game of Thrones, we discussed the fact that uh, it's a show with with a pretty solid like equal opportunity uh, nudity, <laughs> like both male and female nudity. Um, and you know what? Good, yeah, good, good on them for for sticking with it. You know. Yeah, that's true. Because I mean, Melon Ackerman is is nude, but not. Not as, like, plainly as... <laughs> like, Manhattan's just walking around. 
and hers is in flagrante. So my uh, I, I should also mention I don't I don't need to mention, but I'm going to that uh, my HBO uh, thing did freeze on the Hallelujah scene <laughs> for like a, it was the only time in the entire movie, and it did it for a solid like five or ten seconds, and I was just sitting there like, well. <laughs> Here we are. The, uh, you know, this is this is what I've done to myself. This is I, I signed up for this. <laughs> well, there's nothing on my tongue but hallelujah. All right, I do like that they used one of the verses in that song that people don't usually cover. So that mm-hmm. was kind of cool. One of the DLC verses, <laughs> um, which is which stands for the Leonard Cohen. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna release the first pay to play song. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, free to play. I guess is the the model business model. Right. Um, I'm gonna. I have a question. <laughs> I I have a more serious question for you both. Was this movie ahead of its time? And by that I mean, what if this came out a couple of months after the first Avengers movie, or even later I... down the line? I, I think people would be really it, happy they're not having to see that childish crap, all that kitty <laughs> crap that Marvel's doing. Apparently, uh, parents did bring their children to this movie, and like nice. apparently that was a little bit of a, a, uh, an issue. I'm um, surprised the kids didn't get very bored. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, I mean, I, I think that I, I don't know that it would have been like any better or worse received i feel like the only potential would be for it to be worse received Um, okay because i think that the quality of superhero movies uh went up quite a bit and and really i'm just talking about marvel um but even like for a brief time the x-men movies really stepped up uh right in from like 2010 2015 when was logan was logan 2016 2017 17 Wow. Okay. Well, they had some hits during that time. The MCU was going strong post Avengers, so it was it was starting to get more and more good at making movies as opposed to um, making like franchise filler setup. Um, and so I I feel like I think that there there would be a higher potential for this movie to get made, and if we're talking about like if the movie was actually made at that time, I think they could have done a lot more with the idea of the comic and the fact that it is supposed to be a satire of like why these heroes could never work in our world. Um, And I think there'd be something interesting to do there, but I don't think the movie as is would be as like, I feel like it wouldn't be like a a cult classic as much. If you can call Watchmen a cult classic, I think it's got some strong followers. Maybe just because Snyder, maybe because it's it's Snyder fans who also are are going back and giving it more respect than it got when it came out. But I don't know. Yeah, I, I just I don't know. I, I feel like some of the superhero satire actually is maintained in the movie, despite sort of the lessening sure. of uh, our our de- our deplorables. Let's say, yeah. Um, I don't know. I I just think it would be an interesting counterbalance of like the first Avengers movie, like the super bright poppy, like our heroes are heroes and they're fighting an alien invasion. And then you get to this one, it's just like every hero is almost like it's a different aspect of a criticism against 
the idea of becoming a superhero. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I just find all that really fascinating. Yeah, it's kind of this is the sort of premise that is unnecessary. Like you don't. It feels weird to do a book that's like this is why superheroes wouldn't work when it's like I know we don't have them. <laughs> it's kind of like the criticism of the hunger games where it's like why did we take four books to explain why we shouldn't have a thing that we don't have (laughs) i I know the hunger games are bad that's why we don't do them and i know it's not that simple but but i think that watchmen as a book is one it just puts it across really effectively it's just very smart but also it uses superheroes as a metaphor for a lot of other things Mm -hmm. and it sure as much as it is about superheroes it's about other things i think that I haven't read the boys comic, but the show I think does a nice job of saying we're not really criticizing superheroes. We're criticizing power that like power corrupts you, whether it's economic power, cultural power, pop cultural power, physical power, that when you are given all of this ability and privilege and room, what does that do to you? And what, how does that affect the people around you? And I think the show explores that in a really largely I think a pretty effective way fairly simply but also I think effectively and Watchmen I think is just more about communism maybe I really don't know but well, <laughs> and and Watchmen 2 is almost 40 years old right. um, yeah and Superheroes meant a very different thing then. yes it came out at a time I mean not a time where like things I, I wouldn't say it was like it showed up when everything was still like a Saturday morning cartoon. Um, but things definitely were not like superheroes were not really considered like gritty as much. Like there are some Batman writers before, like in the seventies who had kind of been like pushing things this way, but, um, Watchmen, it, it is very much a response to like the superheroes of, the even the going back to like the forties, the fifties, the sixties, yeah. and seventies, like that the the whole like era of superheroes after that point, which was largely dominated by not stories that were this mature or interesting. Yeah. Um. And so, like, there's a lot of that that I don't think you really get anymore because you wouldn't have been reading comics up to that time. Um, right. So yeah, it's a it's a whole thing. Yeah, and I haven't like I haven't read the the boys comic book from what I understand that book seems to be much more just someone who's angry that superheroes are popular, just complaining in a book. <laughs> and it's like, come on, dude, <laughs> you know, it's, but, uh, uh, I like the show, um, which I didn't think that I would like the show, but I did. Um, yeah. And, and it's just, uh, I don't know. I, I think Watchmen is a really stunning book. And I think that the movie is, is definitely, It doesn't fully succeed for me, but it does not fail nearly as hard as one could. Yeah. Um, and I think if, if if this movie didn't exist and you told me right now, hey, Zack Snyder's making Watchmen, I'd be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Um, but at the time, well, I, I didn't know. Any, I remember seeing the trailer for, for Watchmen ahead of like Super 8 or something or maybe District 9. And I love that original trailer with the Smashing Pumpkins song. Like, I think that's such a good trailer. Yeah. And I had no idea what was going on. Um, and then I watched it much later. But I, I think that, um, I don't know. I, I, at the time, it was also interesting because 
superhero movies were we didn't know then even though uh, dark knight and iron man had come out like we didn't know that we were going to be spending the next 13 years deep in this cultural hold um this is i don't know it's just interesting timing indeed yeah. also i like how it's like the two main superhero movies that came out that year were this and X-Men Origins Wolverine. Oh, yeah. wow. <laughs> it's like, oh, boy, we had a lot of uh, growing pains to work through, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I have I have not seen the Wolverine film. Um, <laughs> uh, I will, though. Sounds great. <laughs> is there any other big I'm trying to think if there's any other like stuff I really need to dig into about Watchmen do y'all have anything I think we've covered it yeah I'm sure there's all sorts of stuff we can talk about but it yeah, would probably I, just I be like let's talk about well the enough. TV show now <laughs> yeah yeah um the, the, the seven episodes I've seen are great <laughs> no, knows what it's doing what are, what are y'all doing for ratings? I'm I'm settling on mine. Uh, I'll go first. <laughs> um, I'm gonna give it an A minus. <laughs> okay. Um, this is one of my favorite superhero movies. It would probably be in my top ten. And like I said, I'm kind of coming at this not so much as an adaptation or really trying to compare it to the comic. I'm just kind of trying to take it on its own terms as a movie, mm-hmm. and I think it works really really well. Um. Like I said, it's it's pretty sound and coherent, and I think most of the story changes that it makes actually help support it as a movie. Um, and it's really just Matthew Good probably could have been a bit more charismatic with his performance to make the turn less obvious, and Snyder needs to tone down uh, some of the craziness of his fight scenes. But other than that, I, it works really, really well for me. This is a movie that I come back to regularly, um, more so than the comic, which might just speak to my preference of movies as a medium over comics. Um, but yeah, I, I really like it. So a minus. All right. I'm ready for y'all to give it a D now. <laughs> I'm not giving it a D. I, I think I'm, I'm going to go D minus. Yeah. No, I'm going to go, I'm going to go C minus because I do think there is a lot of obvious craft in this and a lot of obvious love in it. The minus is mostly just that part of me that's like, this just doesn't... It's kind of the flip, where I'm like, the the book just worked so well for me, and it, this feels like... I know this thing can't function the way I want it to, but but darn it, you tried, so hey. And then as it's, it is now hard for me to look at it as just a piece of cinema. Sure. Um, at least at this stage, I might I might feel differently. I, 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 I'm not like, right, like you know desperate to watch it again but i don't think i'd resist watching it again necessarily so i'm gonna go b minus that's mm. what the difference um i think there's a lot that i do like in this and i think it is clear that it was made as like a genuine attempt to reconstruct the comic in movie form um but i think it does miss the mark in a lot of ways Yeah. Unlike Deadshot from the best superhero movie. <laughs> With a much better soundtrack. Oh, man. 
I'm just saying, when they're flying to the prison, I was like, I just feel like I don't have a clear enough idea of what this location is. Maybe you could do a song about, like, a house or a song about, like, a maybe, sun coming up. Maybe tell me where the house is. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be good. Because I don't – right now I'm just hearing we're along a watchtower. Don't you mean up a watchtower? <laughs> have you looked at a building? Um, I don't know. And it says there's a whole lyric about a Joker and a thief. Um, Batman's not in this movie. <laughs> Sorry. Um, oh, but Joker is. One thing Boy, I did want to mention. I, I, one thing, returning back to, to the movie, um, in the opening montage, like the first shot is Night Owl punching out what seems to be the, the uh, Joe Chill, who's going to be gunning down Bruce or uh, uh, Thomas and Martha Wayne hmm. as they're exiting the theater and i can't tell because bruce isn't there so it's not like it's not clear cut but then there's a bunch of batman comics on the wall next to him oh that's fine so i'm like i completely missed that what are you doing <laughs> i did not realize that because it, it looks like it's it, it it looks like a thomas and martha wayne mm-hmm. it looks like they are leaving the theater in a back alley and it looks like there's an alfred type looking person standing next to them mm-hmm. um, but it's like where's where's the kid <laughs> I, I feel like Maybe Alfred's the kid in this one. <laughs> it, it, now it feels it's time. Like, what it comes off to me as, they were like, okay, we're going to make it this really cool thing where, like, Night Owl saves Bruce's parents. And that's, like, part of the alternate history version of this. Isn't that really cool? And then the executives are like, the audience isn't going to know what that is. And Zack Snyder's like, but yeah. we'll put a bunch of Batman comics up on the wall and then we'll take Bruce out of it to make it less confusing? I don't know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> It's it's very weird. I don't know what it's trying to do, but I don't know. It's interesting. I, I, I think it would have been great if they still got killed and Alfred was like, Criminals are a suspicious and cowardly lot. I shall become old Batman. I don't know why I'm qualifying it. I'm the first guy. And then it's just Alfred like, just like smacking people. <laughs> There's a bunch of like goons trying to like rob a lady of her pearls because it's in the Go- in Gotham. It's always the 1950s, and mm-hmm. he's like, "Hey, you! I'm your worst nightmare." <laughs> and he's hanging upside down, but he's like, "Oh, oh, nosebleed, nosebleed." Except uh, Alfred. I think at least in, in some uh, origins or whatever is was in the um, military. So the difference in this is that he just shoots guys. He just shoots criminals. <laughs> just like, oh, I you am mean... going to defeat you. And it's like, what? Oh, old man, get out of the way. I'm going to, you know, you don't, <laughs> see, you're not going to no, stop fog me. Of war. <laughs> fog of war. This is okay. See, <laughs> you shoots guys... him right in the eye. See, you guys are joking about this. This sounds like Zack Snyder's Batman. <laughs> sure. Nothing you are saying really veers that far away. But then he takes in his ward, and it's like a middle-aged guy. <laughs> and he's like, "Come on, we ha- we have to get to the to the bat cave." Well, okay, C- can my girlfriend's kid come along? Like, <laughs> she's got night school, and I just I really. And I mean, the kid I... becomes Robin. It's all coming together. <laughs> can the ki- he's you just give him? Or sorry, I guess I'm, you're saying if I'm going to become a what is it? A bat guy? Anyway, um, okay. So, the, so are we, are we going with come? Are we calling this Bat Alfred or are we calling it Balfred? No, what are we doing here? We're calling this Old Man Batman. It's Old Man. It's Old Batman. Old 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 Man Bat. Old Bat. He's like crouching on a gargoyle. He sees like the Riddler down there, and he's like, 
All right, Metamucil, work your magic. Can, can we make it sound like a, a children's film, film from the, the mid-90s? How about uh, My Pal Al? <laughs> <laughs> still shoots people, though. Still, yeah, right still, between the eyes. Yeah. Just guns them down. <laughs> do you bleed? I do very quickly. I have to take these. <laughs> Do you know what a utility belt is? It's where I put all of my medical equipment because I keep getting shot. (laughs) Fortunately, I don't get shot right between the eyes. He sees all of those tanks that Bane has that holds the venom and he's like, Oh, how did you get like a back version? I've got to carry mine around on a little like cart. (laughs) I've got to wheel it next to me. I like the idea of, of Bane also being an old man in this. <laughs> yes. It, he's played by Hulk Hogan. Um. <laughs> oh, wow. Old, old bad. <laughs> oh, okay. They're, they're all old people, and so the Riddler's like, How is a raven like a writing desk? Hmm, I give up. How? How... How what? How is the raven like? I don't. You're slandering the elderly here, and I will not stand for it. You're right. After well, I'm gonna... in it. If we I, have I an old win. Two-Face, he's got to flip the coin, and then he just walks away. <laughs> Man, half of his face would just be real so, wouldn't it? <laughs> or preserved. Um, so sure. next week... <laughs> Well, I can win back the old people uh, with my recommend because we have, we have a lot of those listeners. With my recommendation this week, I've got another older movie to recommend. Uh, this is from 1967, I want to say. Uh, it is another film by Jacques Demy, who made The Umbrellas of Cherbourg. This movie is called The Young Girls of Rochefort, and it is a French movie, obviously. Um, and I, I, I would describe it as being... The the plot is gossamer thin with the consistency of very light whipped cream. Um, it is a movie essentially designed just to look at people dancing. And it's a musical uh, about these two young women and the various men who compete for their affections. And there's a carnival in town and there's a music store. And it's very just constantly songs and there's a lot of like i'm going to go visit this man that i know and i'm gonna dance there (laughs) and then just like sailors lifting people and there's just dancing but the dancing is beautiful the whole movie looks stunning just like cherbourg did and uh, it stars Catherine deneuve george shakiris who played um, bernardo and west side story is in there and gene Mm -hmm. kelly is in it who is occasionally dubbed i know he's not singing but some of his dialogue is him speaking French, and some of it, I think, is somebody else speaking French dubbing him. So I don't know if Gene was like, now this is a really tricky <laughs> sentence, so get, get somebody else to do it. Um, but I've, it's on HBO Max, and I found it just very charming and lovely if you want to just like just kind of shut your brain off and go, I'm just going to watch people in these beautiful, bright outfits in this beautiful, bright French town sing and dance for for two hours and just have a a nice, easy, breezy time. Uh, You can do much worse than the young girls of Rochefort. Um, I I am recommending The Leftovers. Nice. Um, Finished it. It nails the ending. Like, I... 
the ending like it, it constantly surprises surprising me because it, it feels like it's not going to be satisfying and it's just going to be like one of those just kind of depressing endings that doesn't really wrap up anything and it's just like well it's, nothing's wrapped up for the characters that's the point and then like it it is so cathartic and, and so satisfying like i i awesome. loved it loved every second of it and that's a show that despite being as depressing as it is it is so watchable and so bingeable cool. like i can't say enough good things about it and damon lindelof knows how to do a show like <laughs> just keep letting him do things um yeah and and don't put these weird like barriers on him where it's like you have to make it you have to make it like seven seasons or whatever um or or you have to take take a, a already bad ridley scott script to make it even worse like let's... <laughs> specifically make it worse that's what they told him like hey <laughs> Hey, we just want to tank this. We don't. We don't want to make another one of these. <laughs> Please, I, I will say if if anyone is having reservations about watching The Leftovers because of that, because Damon Lindelof, like he tends to do, kind of the J.J. Abrams approach, but a bit better in terms of like mystery boxes and not mm. not explaining everything. I think the show strikes a perfect balance of like we're not going to give you all the answers, but it gives you the right answers. Oh, gotcha. Nice. Um. I loved it. Absolutely loved um, it. it. It is one of the best TV shows. Like, for me, it's like that and Breaking Bad. I don't know which one's wow. better. I I had not remembered, or actually I had forgotten that Carrie Coon, who's like one of the lead characters in that, yeah. she's one of Thanos's like, generals. Yeah. She's Proxima or she's Midnight. Least, <laughs> or she's at least yeah. the voice. I don't know if she was on, on like, set for it. Right. But I know she plays Proxima Midnight. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, I've I've watched some of it. I definitely want to get back to it. I think once I finish this Watchmen series, on it, I also want to watch Devs, but uh, that's just because I like Alex Garland. Um, yeah. But yeah, I definitely want to pick up Leftovers and see. I think Margaret Qualley is in that, right? Isn't she the daughter? Uh, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe. Okay. I, 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 a lot I just, of folks on that show I like. Look, so. I, I just know that um, uh, the son is uh, Flash Thompson from the Amazing Spider-Man movies, and I just found that amusing. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, let me see if, if this is who I'm pulling her up. I don't think she has her feet yes. on any dashboards, so that is her. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's in Once Upon a Time from, from Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, And then she's also in Nice Guys. Yeah, she is. Oh, that's a fun movie. Yeah. Charlie, you got anything? I uh, I wanted to recommend an Alan Moore comic this week, and so I will. Um, I uh, I feel like it would be very easy to recommend Watchmen, which I mean I do. It, <laughs> Watchmen is. I, I think I think we all can can agree yeah. that we would recommend Watchmen. The Watchmen comic. <laughs> is one of those things that like I don't know if this happens for y'all or for anybody listening, but for me sometimes I'll watch something or I'll read something that I know is supposed to be like the best thing, and it meets those expectations. And yeah. so then I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't feel like I like, like I feel like I've just, I've just walked into this and, and have been like, okay, is is this the best thing? Yeah, it is. Okay, well, <laughs> cool. I don't like. I feel like I, I don't come away with like revelations because I'm, I'm just like, it's exactly what I expected it to be, and it doesn't. It's. I feel like it's sometimes harder to make like an emotional connection with something when it's when there's so many right. other expectations, and you know that like everybody knows about this and, and loves it um and so like i mean 
I've read a smattering of Alan Moore comics. I probably haven't read as many as it comes across like I've read. But, uh, like, another obvious one would be V for Vendetta in terms of mm. an, an entry point. But the one I want to recommend is uh, one that I actually have not read for a little bit, and I need to go back to it, um, that is called From Hell. Mm. Um, there is a movie about this. I have not attempted it, it. I've heard it's terrible. Does it have Johnny Depp in it? Is I think so. I think it does. Okay. Um, and there, I know there's also a V for Fendetta movie that had very mixed results. Again, people adapt Alan Moore things. The and... the movies, I, I would I would say, I, I think the movie is quite good. It goes okay. a different direction. And okay. that is one where it becomes more about what's going on in, you know, what was then 2006. But it is supposed to be like modern day politics. Interesting. Um, more leaning into that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I I would recommend the movie. I think it I think it cool. holds up. Um, um, the, the having said that, the comic is probably a lot better. <laughs> sure. uh, it has also been a while since I read the comic. I need to go back to that too. But uh, I remember being less excited about it as I was a, was for From Hell. Um, From Hell is it is a Jack the Ripper story, um, and it takes it, you know it's historical fiction. It it takes like a very particular like stance on the Jack the Ripper mystery because obviously there have been hundreds of people theorized who could have been Jack the Ripper. And so the, the story just sticks with one. And um, it's, it's this breakdown of like the victims and the people trying to catch him and the guy himself and like how this is all developing. Um, and it, it is like a novel. Um, it's, it's ridiculously thick for, for just mm. like a, a single comic book story. Um, it's all black and white or it was originally, I think they actually just reprinted it in color. Like they just redid it and did a big deluxe mm-hmm. version. I, I, I couldn't tell you if that is worth it or not. Um, but I think that the original version is just fine and it is incredibly wordy. Um, uh, you know, like <clears throat> Alan Moore, he's always been someone to kind of fill a, fill a comic book page. Uh, and this one I think takes that to the extreme. I think it is like, I kind of feel like it's the most Alan Moore story um, <laughs> in a lot of ways because it is just so dense and like <clears throat> clearly something that he just wanted to like go go wild on. Um, it is dark and grim in a lot of places and this is also why I, I think I'd almost recommend the black and white version because I can't imagine having colors to some of the, the graphic uh, images would really... <laughs> would really be pleasant to see. Yeah. <laughs> um I think the black and white leaves leaves a little bit to the imagination and that's probably a good thing. Um but yeah, I I think if you're if you're looking for like if you're someone who's who's read Watchmen and you want to know like more about Alan Moore and and why he is this ridiculous insane mastermind, then uh ch- check it out because uh it's a doozy. Yeah. I I'd like to read that. I had forgotten that it was a Jack the Ripper story, so that is that is quite appealing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like reading comics. I don't do it very often, but every time I read a comic, I'm like, I need to do this more frequently because I like I like this medium. And uh, well, guys, ne- next week we're, uh, we're 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 tying up an old loose end, aren't we? We are. We're tying up a loose end before the world can tie up a loose end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um we're gonna be watching man of steel a movie i have not seen in when did it come out 12 2013 2013 okay okay i was gonna say i haven't seen it in a decade but that's not true 
Um, but it's been a it's been a minute, so we will see how we feel about Man of Steel. <laughs> and I don't have other. I don't know. <laughs> you can find <laughs> us online at herecomethesequels.boxbot.com. You can find us on Twitter at HCT Sequels. You can email us at herecomethesequels at gmail.com. <clears throat> we're on iTunes. We're on Spotify. We're on SoundCloud. G- give us a search. Yep, I've been Britain. <laughs> let's, let's just wrap it up, right, guys? The doomsday clock is ticking. Come on, let's go live. If I learned one thing from Watchmen, it's life is for the living. Get I out think, there, smell the roses. I think seize that's the day. that's really the message. Yeah, carpe diem. It's a I that summer sun's calling my name. I've been Tyler. That's, that's what I got. <laughs> And all the whores and politicians will look up and shout, save us. And I'll whisper, you're having a good night. <laughs>